good morning to all of you here at Central Campus and those of you that are meeting up at the chapel in Galleria. Also, uh, all of our regionals who are meeting either in Bridgeland or Northwest uh, Crowfoot Theater or in Airdrie, and also our house churches. God bless you all, and it's good to be together. We're in a series in which we're exploring what the Bible says about who God is and the implications that these truths about God have on each of our lives today. Now, I want to remind you that spiritual growth happens best in, uh, in relationship with others. And so if you really want to grow in your understanding of who God is, you know, don't limit uh, your, your growth process just to this time in a service like this. But I encourage you to uh, join in one of the small groups meeting in your area of the city um, who are focused on, you know, just in getting to know each other, but also on reviewing the contents of the message and applying it to uh, our lives. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to actually, uh, you know, learn more about God actually through the insights and through the lives of other people. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. You can get more info on how you can get connected in the atrium. Now, last time, we learned about our all-powerful God. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about our all-knowing God. But first, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we dedicate this time to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word and we recognize, Lord, that it is you and your spirit that gives insight to the word. And this is why, Lord, we, we just stand to recognize that we need you to teach us. We need you to guide us uh, in the study of your word. Lord, we also want to praise and thank you that you didn't just create us and then, then leave. But, Lord, you want to be in relationship with us. And I ask, Lord, as, as we seek to know you better, uh, that you will give us insight about who you are and you will teach us how we can draw closer to you each and every day. I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't need to tell you that we human beings are keep, uh, capable of forgetting things and we're capable of making mistakes. I'm reminded of the older fellow who summoned his courage one day to ask a lady his age whether she would consider marrying him. And he was thrilled when she answered yes. Well, the next morning, however, he, he called her up. And he said, Alice, I remember you, I remember asking you to marry me, but for the life of me, I can't remember what you said. And she replied, oh, I am so glad you called. I remember saying yes, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember who asked. Regardless of our age, we are capable of mix-ups, confusion, making mistakes. But not so our God. And that's because he is all-knowing. God is the only source of all knowledge, 
understanding and wisdom. Everything that we know and understand originated with him. In fact, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Because his knowledge is infinite and perfect, no one has had to teach God anything. He has never had to figure things out or take a special course to learn something. Everything is absolutely clear to him. No question can confound him. He's never surprised or confused or shocked. 1 John chapter 3.20 tells us that he knows everything there is to know. He knows all about his creation. Psalm 147 verse 4 tells us that God calls each star by name. And yet over in Matthew chapter 10, we read that he also knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. Furthermore, God's knowledge spans all of time. Not a single event in eternity has gone unnoticed by God. Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times and what is still to come. But as much as God knows everything there is to know about our universe, about the past, present, and future, <clears throat> the Bible also tells us that God knows everything there is to know about you and me. Few passages in the scriptures spell this out more clearly than Psalm 139. I'm going to invite you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 139 now and just leave your Bibles open because we're going to be focusing on this Psalm for the rest of our time. I'm going to invite you again to stand with me as we read a portion of this chapter together. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the mountains, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May God add his blessing to his word and to our understanding. You may be seated. Now in this passage, King David gives four facts about what God knows about you and me. And each of these truths has implications for our daily lives. And the first fact is this, 
God knows you intimately. Look down to verse 13. The psalmist says, for you created my inmost being. You, O God, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm wondering if you've ever known a young couple who um, made it very clear that they can't stand kids, that they're visibly irritated by their incessant crying, and they're horrified at the thought of ever having to change a diaper. But then they have their own children, and a transformation occurs. Now they are attentive to every movement of their child. Now they actually celebrate Junior loading up his diaper. You know, way to go, buddy, the prunes are working, you know. Now they are hardly phased when Junior pukes all over their new suit because, you see, they love and care for that child. And yet if imperfect... uh, if, If imperfect, fallible human beings love and care for their children like this, how much more does the one who knit us together in our mother's womb love and care for us? Parents may know their children well, but not like God knows each of us. Luke 12, verse 7 says, God knows the number of hairs on our head, which means we aren't just a number, you know, one of a billion on the planet in the mind of God. No, we're known intimately by him. Nothing about us is outside of his awareness. So what does this mean for us today? Well, the first implication that I want us to focus on is that since God knows you intimately, You are highly valued by him. God created you because he loves you and treasures you and because he has a purpose for your life. You are not alone or insignificant because you are known and esteemed by the God of the universe. You see, our sense of value and meaning in life is linked to our relationship with God. If you take God out of the picture... If you assume, like many people do, that we are nothing more than the accidental byproduct of chemistry and physics and time and chance, and that when we die, our candle goes out and our existence ends at the grave, then you have every reason to feel very alone, very insignificant, and that your life has no meaning. That's where you land up logically, when you take that position. But you see, all of that changes when you embrace the truth of Scripture, that we are known intimately by God. You are not a number or an irrelevant speck of dust in this massive universe. No, you are a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If there's one truth you take away today, In this message, I pray it will be this, and that is that you matter to God. You really do. God knows you intimately. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And he created you for a purpose. 
Fact number two. God knows all about your sin and your failures. You know, we all want to have a good reputation. We want others to think well of us because we long to be accepted. Yet how many of us would break out in a cold sweat and basically leave town permanently if our thoughts and actions of even just this past week were replayed on the screens for all to see in front of you? The reality is all of our reputations would take a serious hit if the full truth were known about us. And so because we fear that people will reject us if they know the, the total truth about us, we, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we cover up. We try to hide who we really are. We put on a good front. Well, we may be able to fool other people, but you see, we can't fool God. Dr. David Hawking, he says you can have a godly reputation and an ungodly character at the same time because your reputation is only what people think you are, whereas your character is what God knows you to be. God knows what we view on the internet and what we dream and fantasize about. He knows what gives us an adrenaline rush. He sees the way that we destroy another person's character while carefully protecting our own reputation. He sees the way we rationalize away the true intent of Scripture to justify living the way that we are. He knows exactly what our motivations are. And so why are we dishonest with him? Why pretend like he doesn't know? Back in Psalm 69.5, David said, My sins, O God, are not hidden from you. You know how foolish I have been. Which brings us to another truth that speaks to our lives today. And that is since God knows all about your sin, be honest with him. Look down at verse 23. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David is, is, is being very honest here with God. He, he's inviting God to search his heart, and not because God doesn't already know the state of David's heart, but really he's inviting him to reveal to David where he's off base, where his heart needs to be cleaned. God wants us to be straight with him about our sin, to admit it to him, and to turn around and go the other way. That's called repentance, to stop pretending, to come clean with God and turn around and walk the God-pleasing path. When we repent, we receive his grace and his forgiveness. 
Other people may reject you or shun you when your sin is exposed, but God doesn't. He embraces you and he accepts you and chooses not to remember your sin anymore. I'll make my own mistake. You know, we're talking about God knowing everything. The, the reality is God never forgets anything. He doesn't forget the past. But you see, in this passage, he promises not to remember our past when we sincerely seek his forgiveness. It's like he takes out a big black felt pen and he just um, blots out a word on a page, as it were. In fact, Isaiah chapter 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and remembers your sin no more. Other people may remind you of your failures and your sin, but God chooses to remember your sin no more. And so when other people or when the enemy, the Satan, is throwing accusations at you, reminding you of all of your regrets, your failures, and your sin, you remember you're listening to the wrong voices because the true God chooses not to remember your sin anymore. Walk in the freedom of that. When we're honest with God about our sin and we repent, we're set free. Not only from the guilt, but also the worry that accompanies our sin. You know, that worry that others are going to, to, to find out about the lie that we're living. When we ask him to forgive our sins, it's like we, we're taking this hidden thing in the dark. We're bringing it out into the light. And we can live in the freedom of that. Fact number three. God knows all about your thoughts and your actions. Look at verse two. David says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. God knows when we get up, when we lie down. He knows when we raise our hand, and he knows when we fall asleep, especially in church. <laughs> he knows exactly what you're thinking right now, which, by the way, I'm really glad that I don't know that. <laughs> you know, when our boys were younger, I did my best to attend their sporting events and, and after the game we were driving home and, and it wasn't unusual for one of them to say, hey dad, you know, did, did you see me make that pass? Or did you, did you see me score that goal? And the reason they asked me those questions is because they know that I'm human. They know that I can be easily distracted and I can miss those moments where they played brilliantly. Well, we never have to wonder whether God gets distracted because he doesn't. He's always focused on us. He never grows tired. He never falls asleep. And so again, what does this truth mean for our lives today? 
Well, the implication is this. Since God knows all about your, your present thoughts, your present actions, seek his applause alone. You've been reaching out to your neighbor for years. You've helped paint her fence. You've had her over for lunch. You visited her in the hospital when she was ill. You picked up her daughter numerous times when she was caught at work or in traffic. And yet your kindness has never been reciprocated. And you're feeling used and you're just kind of thinking of cashing it in. Or you've been trying to be a godly husband. You've sought to put the needs of your wife ahead of your own. To just love her by serving her. You've sought to treasure her, encourage her, to be sensitive to her. But nothing seems to be changing. You, you still feel like you're not valued, like you're wanted. Or maybe for years you've been volunteering behind the scenes in some ministry or at your church. Faithfully going out of your way to care and to serve. And yet you've received far more criticism than encouragement over the years. And for some time now, you've been kind of wondering, you know, why on earth am I doing this? I mean, no one seems to notice. No one seems to care. No one seems to appreciate what I do. Well, God knows. God sees. Every time we do the right thing, every time we take the high road rather than the low road, every time we build someone up rather than tear them down, every time we choose the path of honesty and integrity, even if it comes at a personal cost, every time we jump in and help out rather than sit back and criticize, every time we bless others rather than curse those who get in our way, God sees and God knows. Every act of generosity, every word of encouragement, every visit in the hospital or prison, every loving gesture to your spouse or your family member, every little act of service as simple as picking up some trash and putting it in the garbage or putting a chair in its place, every little act of service may not be noticed or applauded by God uh, by, by anyone, but God notices and God applauds. Rick Warren captures this so well when he says, imagine yourself on a giant stage and you're the only person on the stage. In the audience, there is only one person and it's God. He's out there clapping and saying, I see the good that you just did. You know, I can really relate to this because as you can see, most weekends, I'm on this big stage all by myself. The trouble is, there's hundreds and thousands of you out there. And the temptation that we pastors struggle with that often robs us of peace and joy is to be 
concerned too much about what you all think rather than what God thinks. The temptation is to try to tickle your ears. The temptation is to not tell you the truth straight up. But just to keep tickling your ears so that you'll keep coming back. That's the temptation. The temptation is to be more concerned about what you think than what God thinks. And every one of us in our sphere of life, wherever we find ourselves, we are constantly tempted between is my ultimate concern what God thinks or about what these other people think? And yet, you know, the older that I get, the more I'm realizing that seeking after God's applause is really all that matters. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about what people think. But it should never be at the expense of neglecting what God thinks. On judgment day, you see, it's going to be God's judgment of me that's going to matter. That's what's going to matter. And the same is true for you. King David said it best in Psalm 62.1. If I were to paraphrase the beginning of that psalm, I would put it like this. You won't sleep soundly at night. You, you won't experience God's peace and joy during the day until your highest ambition in life is to receive the applause of an audience of one. And that is God and God alone. And so keep that image in mind of our God being the only person in the audience and him saying, keep on going. Nobody else saw it, but I saw it. I'm working behind the scenes and I know things that you don't know and I see things that you don't see. Keep on keeping on. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, therefore stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Fact number one is God knows you intimately. Number two, God knows all about your sins and failures. Fact number three, God knows all about your thoughts and your actions. And finally, fact number four, God knows his plans for your future. You know, all of us seek direction in life, but where do we get it? People struggle with all kinds of questions. You know, should I invest my time in this or that? Should I invest my money in this or that? Should I marry this person even though I have questions and doubts? Should I take this job or not? We long for direction in life. And interestingly, people will pay big bucks seeking direction for their future through astrology and horoscopes, channelers, and the like. Many will consult with almost anything or anyone but God. 
And that is so unfortunate, not only because if you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, God says those who practice these things are detestable to him. But also because only God is the source of all truth, and he knows all that there is to know about the future. I am not going to settle for substitutes. I am going to the real deal. And unlike Satan's deceitful plans, Romans 12, 2 says that God's plan for our lives is good, pleasing, and perfect. What does the scripture say about the devil's plan? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. Not so, God, so go to him for his direction. Here in Psalm 139, Verse 10, the psalmist has absolute confidence that God can be trusted to direct our future. He says to God, your hand will guide me. If you go down to verse 16, David says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows all about our future and his purposes and plans for our lives going forward. And if we trust him and we stay close to him and we ask him daily for his direction, he will fulfill those purposes in and through our lives. So what does this truth mean for us today? Well, the implication is that since God knows the future, Seek his direction for your life. You see, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible tells us that God the Holy Spirit actually invades your life. And as we learned last time, one of the things that the Holy Spirit of God wants to do is to empower us to live the life and to fulfill the purpose that he's called us to fulfill. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God wants to empower us. But the focus of today's message is God also wants to guide us, direct us. In Psalm 32.8, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God knows the way that we should go. And if we want to experience God to the max, if we want to live life to the max, then it is critical that we seek his direction for our lives. Now, God has a perfect pathway that he's laid out for you and me. But you see, he doesn't serve it all up at once. Rather, he lays it out a little bit at a time. And he does that because if he gave it to it all, all at once, you know, it's like, you know, someone giving you a 10-year plan and you kind of grabbing and say, oh, thanks, see you in 10 years. God wants us to come to him daily for direction. He wants us to include him in our lives daily. He wants us to trust him 
daily. So how does he guide us? Well, one way that he guides us is through our circumstances by opening certain doors and closing other doors. Another way he guides us is through the advice of godly people, which, you know, brings me back to the point I made earlier about being in relationship with others. Because God often speaks to us through others. But most of the time, God speaks to us directly. He speaks to us in two ways. The primary way that he speaks to us is through the Bible. Many of you, I'm sure, can remember when you were reading or reflecting on a passage of Scripture or, or perhaps listening to a sermon on a particular passage. And suddenly a verse or something the pastor said sort of just hit you right between the eyes. Well, often, friends, that is God speaking to us about something. Another way that God speaks to us is through a prompting or a leading. Most people have no problem with other people talking to God. It's called prayer. But what, they, what really gets their nose out of joint sometimes is when other people talk about God talking to them. You know, like someone once said, why is it that when we talk to God... It's called prayer, and when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. <laughs> the truth is, God really does talk to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read about a time that, that God whispered to Samuel. We don't know how old he was. He was probably 12 years old or so. And initially, Samuel thought that it was his mentor, Eli, And so he went over to his bedroom and he said, here I am. And of course, they did that about three times until Eli finally got it into his head that, wait a minute, God's trying to get through to this young man. And he told Samuel to listen to God and to respond to God. When I was around 12, I attended special meetings that were being held at the local high school in the community I grew up in. At the end of the service, the evangelist gave an invitation. And I sensed a voice inside of me prompting me to respond to that invitation to give my life to Jesus Christ. I resisted. In fact, I resisted so much that I got up out of my chair and began to walk out of that gymnasium and I began to walk home. But with each passing step, that voice grew more intense. It got stronger and stronger until I gave up. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Many of us who are followers of Jesus, we came to faith in him because at some point in our lives, the Holy Spirit cut right through all of our deceit and all of our rebellion and our pride and all of our defense mechanisms and called out to us to surrender our life to Jesus. Well, that night in that high school, the Spirit of God spoke to me and led me to Jesus and my life has never been the same. It was the first leading, the first prompting from God that I can remember receiving. 
When I was in the sixth grade, not too long after this, I had a friend that I knew at school who knew that I was a church goer. And every once in a while, he'd ask me questions about my church and about my faith. And one day, we are walking home, and out of nowhere, I sense that voice again prompting me to ask him if he wanted to become a Christ follower. And I sure knew that it wasn't my thoughts because that was the last thing I wanted to do. And I remember just looking at where we were. We're walking down the sidewalk next to a busy street. And I'm thinking there's just way too much traffic, too much distraction, too much noise. This is not a good idea. I looked at him, and he sure didn't look like he wanted to become a Christian. (laughs) And so I just ignored that prompting and just kept walking. But with each step, that prompting intensified until I knew I had to ask him whether he wanted to become a Christ follower. And so I did. And he stopped and he turned to me, looked at me and said, "Uh, yeah, I do. Said, in fact, I've been wanting to ask you how I can become a Christian for some time now. And right there on the corner of 8th Street and 2nd Avenue in Medicine Hat, Alberta, I gave what I'm sure was the absolute worst explanation of how to become a Christ follower. (laughs) And yet amazingly, Gus prayed to invite Jesus into his life. When I graduated from high school, I joined my father in his business. My dad's business was a very successful business. The future looked very bright. I remember that first year. Um, Financial rewards were absolutely amazing. And I just saw a really bright future. I thought my life was set. But then I sensed that still, small voice again. Calling me to leave all of that and to go into full-time ministry. And when I told my dad about this, I could see the disappointment in his eyes. One of the very first things he said to me in response was, you know, son, there's no future in that. Which is really funny when you think about it. (laughs) No future in God's business, you know. (laughs) But as time went on, I... I could see the anger growing in his life until one day he just said, you know, I'm just going to sell this business. I'm not going to hang on to it. I mean, if you're not going to be part of it. Now, you know, for a 19-year-old, that was a tough decision. But I couldn't shake this leading of God in my life. It was one of the toughest decisions I ever made, but looking back on it now, I... I shudder where I'd be if I just ignored those special leadings of God. By the way, my dad, he eventually came around. 
one of my greatest encouragers today. And that business, by the way, that I was so convinced was going to be just absolutely amazing, a few years later, tanked. Few things in life have strengthened me, my faith in God more, than listening and responding to his leadings. There have been times the Lord prompted me to pray for the person in the bed next to the person that I was visiting in the hospital. A person I didn't even know. And I'm kind of going, God, what, what are you thinking here? Or where I would feel prompted to pray for a stranger in, in the hospital emergency waiting room. But I knew that God was calling me to go and to pray with this young woman or this young man and just to remind them that God was aware of their need right now and that he wanted me to pray for them. Other times I sense the Lord say, you know, help that person start their car or, you know, push out of the snow or speak to that person. And as I have responded his, to his prompting, he has amazed me again and again. In some cases, I witnessed the person come to faith in Christ over time. At other times, I saw no tangible results at all, except I had this deep sense within that this was a sacred God-ordained moment that God would use in the life of this person for his glory. Now, I need to address a couple of concerns at this point. The first is this. God will not lead you to do anything that is contrary to the written word of God, the Bible. If you're feeling led to commit adultery, if you're feeling that God's leading you to engage in sex outside of marriage, if you're feeling led to marry someone who doesn't share your faith in Jesus, then you're not being led by the Lord. Because God's already spoken very clearly about these matters and many others in the scriptures. And that is why it is so vital that we're growing close to the Lord by saturating our lives with the reading, the teaching, the preaching of God's word. Because as I said earlier, God speaks to us primarily through the scriptures. And if we're not familiar with the source of God's will, our ability to discern what's coming from God and what isn't is in real jeopardy. The second concern comes out of a conversation that I had with a young man after um, a particular meeting in which I shared some of the stories I just shared with you about God's leading in my life. And he came up to me and he said, you know, why doesn't God seem to speak clearly to me as he seems to speak to you? And I said to him, well, it's because he likes me more than you. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But it gets to the heart of my concern. My purpose in sharing these stories is to encourage us all to get into the daily habit 
of asking God for his direction and guidance in our lives. It isn't to leave the impression that I have this direct line to God because I don't. The reality is there have been, there have been periods of time when I have felt like God is on holidays and I have received no clear direction on much of anything. But often, though, if I'm really being honest, the bigger problem is that too often I am so preoccupied and so uptight about things and feverishly trying to solve issues and problems in my own strength that I wouldn't hear God if he shouted at me. But there have been those moments, those occasions where I have sensed God's clear whisper in my life for some personal matter or for our church. And as I have obediently followed his prompting and his guidance, I have been blown away by the amazing God that we serve. Now, there is so much more that I could say about this. I'm sure that I've raised all kinds of questions. I hope to speak more specifically on this matter of God's guidance when we explore what the Bible says about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. What I want to say, though, in closing, is if your Christian life is boring or unfulfilled, if you're feeling like all that you're doing is going through the motions of your faith, if you're wishing your relationship with Jesus was deeper and richer, then I want to challenge you to get up every morning with a spirit of expectancy to all that God wants to do in and through your life. Starting out your day by praying something like, Lord, you already know what I'm going to face today. And Lord, I want to honor you with my life today. And so I ask that you would direct my pathway today, that you will show me where you're at work, that you will give me the words that you want me to say and the role that you want me to play in the life of someone else. My hands are open to you. Please lead and I will follow. And then getting out of bed and living with the ex expectation that God will lead you and guide you. In other words, choose to believe that God wants to be part of your life on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to guide you. When Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, this is essentially what he was talking about. There just simply isn't a better way to live. You know, if you examine the men and women of God in the scriptures and also down through history who God used to really change the course of history, you're going to see that most of them were not specially gifted individuals. Most were just little people who saw each day as an adventure with their living God. Just little people who put their faith in a great all-powerful, 
all-knowing God and who said, Lord, where you lead, I will follow. May it be so in each of our lives to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus we know and love. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? I just want us to close our eyes for a moment. You've been listening to the message and some of you have been thinking perhaps, you know, I I can't say I've ever felt God prompting me or leading me or me even wanting him to. Well, that may be because you don't know him. You're not in relationship with him. Oh, you may be religious. You may be even a regular church goer. But that's kind of the extent of your faith. It's something you do. You know, Romans 8, 14 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Jesus said in John 8, 47, he who belongs to God hears what God says. Perhaps you're sensing God talking to you right now. And if that is so, I want to challenge you to open up your life to him and tell him that you want to begin a relationship with him. I remind you that God knows you intimately. He created you, and therefore you really matter to him. I also want to remind you that God knows all about your sins and your failures and your regrets. You don't need to cover it up. You can be honest with him about it. You can come clean and you can be set free. Because unlike people, he will not reject you, but he will embrace you and forgive you by his grace. If you want to know this loving, all-knowing God, the one who created you, who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you, Or maybe if you just want to stop going through the motions of your faith and begin making each day an adventure with Jesus. Whether you're in this room, whether you're in the chapel, or at one of our regionals, I'm going to invite you to publicly affirm your desire right now by slipping out of your seat, making your way up here or to the front of the room that you're in right now. Spend some time talking to God free from all of the distractions. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe the God who knows all about you wanted you to hear this message today. He wants you to come to Him and surrender your life to Him and to begin a new adventure in your life with Him. So I'm going to ask you to come right now as we just wait silently for a few moments. Just slip out of your seat and come.
Father, I just want to thank you for the reminder that even though you know us like no one else, you still love us like no one else. Thank you for your word, the picture that you paint in it of the incredible relationship that you desire to have with us. And I want to thank you, Lord, for your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray for those who have come forward and others in this building, perhaps in other buildings, who at this moment are asking you to forgive them of their sins and inviting you into their lives. I pray for those who are saying, Jesus, I'm done with just going through the motions. I want my life to be the adventure that you intended it for it to be, an adventure of trust and faith in you. And so, Lord, together we pray that you would use us somehow in this one shining season of our lives to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And, Lord, it is with that in mind that we put aside our personal agendas and our selfish interests and our pride and, and all the noise that so easily distracts us. And together we say, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, please. Lead us on the path that you've set out before us. For your glory and for the sake of those who need you so desperately. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. I'm just going to ask our pastors and our prayer partners if you just come forward and minister to these who have come forward. Those of you who have just don't feel a rush to leave, but like someone to pray with you just someone will be there to do that now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace in the name of God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen God be with you